But if we can change that mentality to being more of a mentorship role and a pathway for growth, whether you end up working in the ski industry your whole career or go somewhere else, then it'll create just a better environment for everyone, not only women. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. PlanWell, BeWell is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. Today I'm with Kari Brandt. She is the Ski Patrol Director of Lake Tahoe Diamond Peak Ski Resort. Uh, she also is the founder of Women of Patrol, which is a cool nonprofit organization trying to promote, connect, and support women working as ski patrollers. And one of the cool things in her bio that I just want to call out is that she has prior experience as a risk manager at Sky Park at Santa's Village. So I don't know if we're going to fit that into the uh, podcast today, but I always find it fascinating when people have worked at Santa's Village. Uh, so I invited Kari on today to talk a little bit about what advice she would give her younger self and also what message she wants to send women about uh, being active participants and maybe having careers in the male-dominated ski industry. So Kari, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. For anybody who follows me or follows my podcast or has seen me on stage, I have trouble not talking about skiing and my love of skiing. <laughs> so it's uh, really fun to get to talk to somebody in the industry and uh, break money silence there. So I appreciate your willingness to do so. I want to start off with the fact that you have a very interesting career. When we were connected, I learned very quickly that you're very well educated, which sometimes people think, oh, if somebody's in the ski industry that they didn't really go to college or they're not that well educated. You're very well educated, but you ended up in the ski industry as the only and only woman ski patrol director in your state of Nevada. So tell us a little bit about how that happened and why ski patrolling is for you. Yeah, definitely. Um... You know, every everyone's path is different and none is better or worse. I took a roundabout way to get to where I'm at, but it got me here. So I 
I got my bachelor's degree in mathematics thinking I wanted to be a teacher, mostly because I had a really bad math teacher in high school and I thought I could do a better job than her. So that's why I picked that as a profession. <laughs> I wasn't in a rush to get a job after college. So what does every college student when they do when they don't know what they want to do is go to more school. So I enrolled in a master's degree in STEM education, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics education. And my focus was science and environmental ed because I had been working in the outdoor industry at that point. And so that environmental education and kind of non-traditional education really fascinated me. But I also became a ski patroller during that program to help work my way through school. I thought it'd just be a fun job, be able to ski as much as I could. And then in my second season of patrol, the patrol director saw my potential and really encouraged me to learn and grow as a patroller. And it was really during that year that I realized I wanted to try to make a career out of it. It was kind of every part of the job encompassed what I enjoy doing and what strengthens me in a, in a job. I get to teach people still. I get to be outside, do physical labor. I get a ski most days of the year. Um, there's a lot of logistics and then there's emergency medical care, which is problem solving. And then you have your rogue rescue side of things. And then you have a science component with snow science and avalanche science. And so it involves such a breadth of knowledge and it's all things I'm passionate about. And so it made me realize that, oh, this is something that I want to do for, for the rest of my life. It almost, it's such a perfect fit. Like when you review all of that, I do think, first of all, the chutzpah, you have to have a little chutzpah to be, mm -hmm. you know, the only woman at this point uh, in your state being a ski patroller, but also, or director, excuse me. Yeah. But you also, you know, the science, the education, the environmental stuff, it kind of all comes together and, and makes sense to me. But, you know, in, when we think about the ski industry, especially people who ski like I do, you know, since I moved to Vermont, I ski much more, but I would still say, you know, started off as that weekend skier, the person that is always going to be good, but not great uh, and really enjoys it. And when we think about people who are working in the ski industry, the automatic assumption, or I guess the bias is, oh, you only do that for, you know, lift tickets or for the ski bum lifestyle, which sounds like you enjoyed for a while after college. So that that's cool in itself. But But is it true? I mean, can you make a living wage working in this industry? It's, it's definitely really hard to make a living wage working at a ski resort. Uh, it's slowly changing and we're trying to change the mindset of like, we should actually pay our employees versus making up for it with a free season pass. Or a lot of people say, oh, you get paid in sunsets and powder days, but we should pay for the job instead of paying with that, those perks of it. So like, Take myself, for example, I'm a patrol director. I'm also the safety coordinator here. So I run all the employee safety and risk management for the ski resort. And I'm on a seven month contract. So oh. yeah, so this means I only have health insurance for seven months out of the year. Um, and then I piece together jobs over the summer to me sustain myself financially. So like this past summer, I worked part-time as a rookie bike patroller for minimum wage um, at a different <laughs> ski resort and then uh -huh. worked part-time pouring beer at a local brewery. So I'm able to survive over the summer on those wages because I can save money over the winter because I have a higher job at a ski resort. But even for me as one of the top professionals in the industry, 
it still can be a struggle. You have to hustle all the time. And powder and days and sunsets don't really, uh, Kari, pay for the mortgage or exactly. the rent or the car yep. payment, you know, all the stuff that yep. you need to live. Exactly. And, and in, for example, in the Tahoe area for housing right now, like not only is it hard to find housing because a lot of remote workers have moved to this region, but like a bedroom in Tahoe, it's hard to find anything for under a thousand dollars a month. And most a bedroom, like a bedroom. renting a bedroom. Oh, yep. Wow. Yeah. And then most frontline employees are starting at $15 an hour. Yeah, there's a disconnect there. I know we face that a little bit uh, out here in uh, mm -hmm. the Mad River Valley, but it doesn't seem like it's to that extreme. Certainly Tahoe has a great reputation, but it also sounds like it has uh, great fees and, and rental yep. as well. Yeah. So what I don't get before we even get into gender and how your gender may or may not influence how you're paid, what I don't understand is if people really understand what a ski patroller does, you're saving lives. You are like the emergency medical team. And I can't imagine not having you there for the safety of the mountain, but that the compensation doesn't allow you to actually, you know, be in a position where you, without hustling, can have a family and can have a, a more than just a bedroom. And why do you think that is? I think it, a lot of it is because they always found people who would do it for less. So uh, that became yep. the standard. Yep. That makes sense. So, and I don't necessarily, are, are patrollers unionized? I imagine they're not. It depends on the patrol. Some patrols have unionized. And do you find that, and you may or may not know this, but do they have more equitable wages or do they have wages that are more livable? I am not sure, to be honest. I, I've yeah. never worked on a patrol that's been unionized or had like a really direct connection with them. Um, I know a patrol who was talking about unionizing and the resort didn't want them to do that. So then the resort increased their pay rates in an effort to keep them from unionizing. So I'm, I'm assuming that it does help. But I also think that there's other ways to go about it as well. And I think it'll ch take a shift in the mindset of the ski industry as a whole to make that change. And, you know, some resorts are better at that than others. Yeah. And so part of what we talked about um, when we met on the phone was the idea that you're trying to do something different at Diamond and, and trying to as you say, pay for the job as opposed to just giving all these bonuses. Can you talk a little bit about what you're trying to do or, or how you think the mindset needs to shift, Kari? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing we did this season, because we're based in Nevada, so minimum wage in Nevada is much lower than California, but California is 10 minutes away from our ski resort. So we were basing our wages on California minimum wage, which starting January 1st, 2022 is $15 an hour. This season, our managers met with our general manager and we're part of the general improvement district. So all of our decisions go through a board of directors and we proposed to the board to have our starting pay be at 17 an hour, so $2 above California minimum wage. And that's to help people survive and 
you know, the housing that we have here and be able to pay their bills. So that definitely makes an impact. And then, of course, we we compressed our wages based on that. So we're able to start our patrollers higher than that because they have a little more responsibility. So that's kind of like step one that we're taking to change things is making a stand and and making a statement of starting our pay higher. And then we're also trying to figure out just how to change the mindset of the ski industry as a whole in terms of paying for the job. So say you hire an electrician, they should be a comparable wage to an electrician in any other industry. It shouldn't be less just because it's the ski industry. And then another thing specifically that my boss, Jay Ridd, he's our mountain operations manager, is a huge proponent and really vocal about is hiring the right person for the job, even if that means that they look differently or maybe they have less years under their belt, but they're better for the job. So hiring the best in line instead of the next in line. And yep. I think that'll like really help bring those wages up also because we're hiring the right people to do the right job. And so then the pay is really justified for that person because they're the right person for that job. And you mentioned, you know, not looking the same as other patrollers or really kind of broadening and being more diverse and inclusive. So do you feel as if your gender negatively impacts or maybe even positively impacts your ability to negotiate a fair wage? Where I'm at currently, it has no effect on it. I'm looked at for what I bring to the resort and to the job, which is a breath of fresh air for me. Like, I didn't think workplaces like this existed anymore based on having some bad experiences. And so in the past, I've definitely been paid less. And in the 2000s, I've gone to an HR person to ask for a pay raise and was told that my partner at the time had a good job and we didn't have any kids, so we're doing what? just fine. So wait a second. Your request for a raise was based on your partner's salary? Exactly. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, they would and never it still do exists that to today. A man. I know. No. They would never do that to a man. I no. really don't think so. And if anybody thinks they would, feel free to ping me and I'd love to have you on to talk about your experience. Right. But, wow. Wow. Yeah. So how did you overcome that? Because that's something that's pretty upsetting and certainly not fair or equitable. Yeah. For, for that job location, I realized that I wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to be able to change the management above me, but I could still have an impact on the people who worked for me. And so I tried to keep that mindset that I was there to make their experience better and help them grow to get to the next place. And then eventually after other things happened, you know, just started looking for new jobs. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes you have to kind of work with what you have and sometimes you need to leave no matter what the industry is. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, one of the things I'm wondering is if you could go back in time and you could give yourself some financial advice, you know, to your 20 something person, what would it be and why? Yeah, one thing I would tell myself is to start paying on student loans earlier, even if they're deferred based on your income. I didn't understand the concept of compounding interest at that time. So I would have been paying interest at least on my student loans earlier. And then also saving earlier 
for investment, whether that's real estate or retirement. But I really wish when I moved to Tahoe a few years ago, I would have had enough money to put a down payment on a house when I moved here then. Because obviously now, as we know, the housing market everywhere, it's pretty unattainable as it is now. Um, so I wish I saved earlier. So when it comes to compound interest, what's interesting is you are a math major. Why do you think you didn't get that message? I think it's honestly the marketing of of student loans of like, oh, go on income-based repayment plans and you don't have to pay until this time. And so I was like, oh, that sounds great. I could just push that off. And I just don't think that I did. I just didn't do the research on my own to know what the consequences of that was. Yeah. And I think you're not alone there, Kari. I think a lot mm -hmm. of people kind of fell into that trap and hopefully it's something we're trying to address in our society now. So it sounds like it was really, you know what? pay off the debt as much as you can and start to save and invest so you can uh, have a home or make a down payment on a home, which eventually, just so you know, I'm a little bit older than you, what goes up does come down. So there will yes. be opportunities in the future. <laughs> yep. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. But you know, I want to talk a little bit about your commitment to women that are patrollers, because not if, you know, you could be a patroller and you could have this life and be a symbol. Or you could go the extra step, which you did, and start a nonprofit called Women of Patrol. So I love your Instagram page. I love your dog. I don't have a dog. <laughs> I, I just think, you know, what cool pictures you have, but, it, but it's more than cool pictures, Kari. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the organization so listeners can learn about it and, and maybe help you out in some way, either with a donation or with supporting you just by liking you or following you. Yeah, absolutely. I was lucky enough in when I started my career to have a female mentor. She was a patrol director at the ski resort I started at. Her name's Donna Newland. She ended up being the risk manager there, and she really mentored me and took me under her wing. So I was super fortunate. But when I met other women patrollers, I realized not all of them had that influence. They didn't have a female to look up to. And so I knew I wanted to start something. I didn't know what that looked like. So I realized it took just a little step and then I, everything else could, could develop through time. So I started the Instagram page, Women of Patrol, and it really took off. People from all over the world have connected with me through, through that social media. Then it developed towards this nonprofit, which was established in October 2019. And I really wanted to create exposure that women are ski patrolling and are great ski patrollers, but also provide mentorship paths for people who are interested in getting into the industry, as well as support for female patrollers who want to move up in the industry, because a lot of them do it for a few years and then leave. So like right now, the statistic I think is that 23 to 24% of patrollers are women. There are some patrols like Hoodoo and Sisters Organ, that's 50% women. Yeah, it's super awesome. And so just increasing that women representation in the industry, that's the first conversation. Obviously, there's way more diversity that needs to happen in the ski industry. But 
I think that's like step one. And obviously that's what I identify as. And so I'm the person that's leading, leading that charge through this organization. I think just the ski industry as a whole, I mean, it's long been an old boys club. And so there's been a mentality, especially in patrol, that you have to earn your position or prove that you're worthy of being there. But if we can change that mentality to being more of a mentorship role and a pathway for growth, whether you end up working in the ski industry your whole career or go somewhere else, then it'll create just a better environment for everyone, not only women. No, absolutely. And so it's very interesting when you mention the percent of women that are patrollers currently. It's very similar to the percent of women who are financial planners in the financial industry where I do a lot of work, also mm -hmm. a very male-dominated uh, industry. And as I was preparing for this interview, Kari, I actually spoke to a woman who is in her mid-60s, I'm guessing, and used to uh, teach skiing in the 70s. And she shared a couple stories about pay inequity in the old boys club. And I was like, ooh, so it, it's been around for a while, but I'm glad you are shifting and changing it. And mentorship so important. And it sounds like you're paying it forward. So tell us where we can find out more about Women of Patrol and if we want to either donate or if we want to just check out what you're doing, because it sounds like this is phase one, but there's a lot more to come. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our Instagram page is probably the the best place to get really stoked on female patrollers. And so that's at Women of Patrol. And then our website, womenofpatrol.org, has donation as well as a few little swag items for sale. And all of the proceeds of those go to the organization. And any of our events will be posted on there. We also yesterday released a goggle with marker bindings. Um, and those are for sale on the marker website. And a portion of those proceeds Ooh. go to the organization. I feel a purchase coming on. Yeah, they're, coming on. they are so cool. It was a really awesome to work with the U.S. team through Marker Vocal Dalbello. And then they were working directly with the team in Europe to develop that product. Oh, that's really exciting. You are taking your career so much further and really, I think, inspirational, even for people like me who will never become a ski patroller. I just love that, what you're up to. So what is one thought you want to leave our listeners with? It could be about anything. It could be about the patrolling. It could be about finance. Just what's, what's something you want to kind of leave us thinking about? I think the biggest thing is like follow your passions. There's, there's so many people who tell me, I wish I could do what you do. And my response is always, then do it. Sometimes like the hardest part is taking the first step towards that goal. And it may not be comfortable all the time, but if there's something you really want to do and something you're really passionate about, then start the steps to get there. Awesome. So thank you so much for breaking money silence with me today. I will put all your links in the show notes and I hope we can continue the conversation, Kari. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. PlanWell, BeWell is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. 
thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.